Um, before I get started, I'm on uh, the governor's prayer breakfast um, committee, if you would. It's going to be Saturday morning, March 18th at 8.30. And um, a fellow named Phil Olson, some of you may remember Merlin Olson. He was a great, uh, I think, tackle, defensive tackle for the uh, Los Angeles Rams a long time ago. And Phil, was he a, was he a defensive tackle or was he an offensive? Okay. Well, he lives in Bozeman. He's coming up and he's going to give this talk that day. And Governor Gene Forte will be there and numbers of others. But um, I'd like to encourage you to come to this. Um, if you would, you have to sign up. It's a $25 fee. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's a time to just encourage the governor. I don't know if you know, uh, but in the uh, governor's office, they pray every day. I had the lieutenant governor in my house a couple of years ago, and she told me that they pray every morning. They bathe everything they're doing in prayer. So we have a godly governor, and uh, if nothing else, it'd be great if you could come just to encourage him, but I think you'll be encouraged as well. So that's my little advertisement. Uh, 18th, it's Saturday the 18th. It, yeah, and if you'll, I got a bunch of these cards, and if you get a card, there's a place on the bottom, you can go uh, order your tickets. I ordered mine online. Um, and, and that way, we need to know how many are coming because we do need to uh, be able to prepare the breakfast. It's at Carroll College in the big auditorium there, and uh, probably two or 300 people there. So I would encourage you if you can make it. Oh, that'd be great. I'd super appreciate that. That'd be awesome. So I'd like to see you all represented well there. I think it'd be, I think it'd be good for everybody. So... Um, let me change gears here now. Let's look at the scripture together. Um, we're coming up on Easter. So I'm going to start a little early here. I realize we're a good month off, but we're coming up on Easter. Easter celebrates the defining moment of Christianity. I just want you to think about that. What does Easter mean to you? What does your Easter day generally look like? In my estimation, the devil has done all he could to belittle and minimize what actually is the foundation of our Christian beliefs. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. So just stop on that one just for a minute. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. And because of that, I believe, you know, the devil's in introduced all these other things to try to get us to not really focus on what Easter is really all about. Um, the Easter eggs, I, I haven't ever seen a bunny rabbit resurrected. I've killed a few, but I haven't ever seen them resurrected. It's not about a, Easter eggs, obviously. Um, do Easter eggs even actually represent anything that has to do with the real Easter story? Uh, I'm not saying we should do away with these types of celebrations, but we should be absolutely sure that we understand them and keep them, keep them in their place. Uh, just to let you know, I have four grandkids under six, and we hide Easter eggs for them because we just want to give to them at that particular time. But that's not really what Easter's all about, is it? Paul instructs us to not be like children, but men and women of firm faith and belief, not swayed by every wind of doctrine. And so I'll be here this week, and then um, 
you guys have asked me to come back, uh, not next week, but the following week for the four weeks leading up to Easter. And in that, I would like to take a look at the resurrection from a number of different angles over these next uh, five sermons that I will do with you guys. And I hope it will be helpful as well as a blessing. I believe that God has, has led me to start this with the death of uh, Lazarus. You probably know the story of Lazarus. If you turn your Bibles to John chapter uh, 11, I'd like to look at that. Some of you may have a, a Bible here. You may be looking at this Bible. I'm going to read it. I'm not sure how you guys do that here, but let me, um, let me read through this. I'm going to read the first 27 verses. I'm going to take a moment, but I'd like for us to get a hold of this together. Now, a certain man was sick, <clears throat> Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let's go to let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If someone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, and that you, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go up to him. Thomas, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, well, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into this world. Y'all pray with me for just a moment, please. Father, we ask that you would open the word of God to us, that we might see the God of the word, that we might understand something of the great I am. 
So, Lord, um, move here by your Spirit. Um, speak to us from your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's a few things to see from this passage. The first is sort of obvious. It's Lazarus was loved. He was loved by Jesus. In those first three verses, John uh, introduces us again to Lazarus and the family, um, Martha and Mary, tells us a little bit about him, and in the midst of it, um, at verse 3, it says, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus loved Lazarus. There was a good relationship there. I don't know if any of you are looking at the uh, chosen. The, uh, Lazarus is portrayed in the chosen as one of his buddies. You know, apparently they've grown up together, sort of. I don't know if that's right or not. There's a, an embellishment there of a kind. But there is a relationship. And Lazarus was loved by Jesus. He interacted with him. He had some kind of relationship with him. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on these three verses, but I want you to get one thing from here. Jesus loves you. He wants to have interaction with you. Love is what he is all about. To the point that one of the key words of the book of John is love. I don't know if you realize that, but the book of John is built off of uh, several different words. One is love. I believe it, it shows up 39 times in the book. And then life. He doesn't mention that here, but we'll see life through here. Life is used um, 41 times in the book. So there's this, this emphasis by John on the love of God for you and I. God loves us. Jesus loves us. Now, I don't, I don't know where everybody is. You're part of the joy of being able to speak to y'all is I don't know every one of you. That sounds funny. But God does. And if God speaks through me to you, that's because he loves you. And he wants to work in your life. He wants to minister to you. He wants to bless you. And then he wants you, in turn, to love others. That's what we're called to do. Life is all wrapped up in Jesus. Paul goes so far as to tell us that we are dead in our sin. Real life is in Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a, in a minute. So John wants to impress on the reader from the very first line that Jesus is life and love. If you want to go back, I'm not going to take the time, but look at the introduction of the book of John. And uh, John states clearly that God is love in the person of Jesus Christ. Now the second thing to see here is love does not always do what we expect. I don't know if you're aware of that. I've been married 38 years, the same woman. And uh, I want to tell you, sometimes she doesn't do anything that I expect. <laughs> and she can still look me in the eye and say she loves me. You know, and that's a good thing. Look at this, um, <laughs> what Jesus does he gets this um, news that Lazarus is sick. It says, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but the glory of God. That's a really odd way to answer about someone who is sick. I, I don't know about you, but um, you know, I've had people in the hospital over the years, and as soon as I hear they're in the hospital, I run right up there, quick as I can. I've had family members. I've flown across the country. My father got sick once and uh, thought he was going to die. I took two weeks off, went across the country. The normal response when 
when you hear that someone is sick is you want to get by their side. You want to minister to them. You want to interact with them. Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> Look at what it says in verse uh, 5. He says, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. I, every time I read that, and I've read this for, I've been a Christian over 40 years now, I just go, what? That just doesn't seem to be the caring, loving, gentle, gracious Jesus that you and I are supposed to know and walk with. But I believe that uh, Jesus had something else in mind. It's obvious as we go through the passage, but, but just think about that for a minute. Instead of going, he stayed. Instead of ministering, he did something else. You ever gotten mad at somebody because they didn't do what you expected them to do when you got in a spot? I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> Jesus stayed. He stayed so, go back to verse 3 or 4, he says, it's but for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified through this. So he's, he's got something in mind. You know, um, <laughs> Jesus sometimes stays and doesn't answer our prayers because he's got something else in mind. Can we trust him in the midst of that? A couple things. Love for Lazarus made for the glory of Jesus. Love for you and I makes it for the glory of Jesus. He states that this was for God's glory. When was the last time someone you loved, your child, your relative, got sick and you sat back and said, this is for the glory of God? I've never done that, but yet that can be exactly what will happen. We'll trust him with that loved one. Love made Jesus wait. So John states that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, but also that he waited two more days. I believe that Jesus, or that love made Jesus wait. Love first for the Father, then love for his disciples, then for Lazarus and his family. Love wanted them to understand something about him. Love motivated Jesus. Love wants us to understand who this God-man is. So he had to wait to make his point. When I have, and I just have to speak for my own life, but I have had times when I am right up against it. God, if you don't answer it, I am in trouble. I'm in real trouble. And God makes me wait. And then all of a sudden, he does it. And when he does it, I can't say I did anything. He did it. And that brings him glory. Love made Jesus fearless. Look at verse 8. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going up there again? Jesus knew they were out for him. He went right into that. Love took the warning from his disciples, but did not let the, that deter him from his mission. My parents loved me. Your, your parents love you? Just everybody go, yes. Because they do. Your, love, your parents love you, and they want the best for you. When I told them that God had told me to come to Helena from Pembroke, Georgia, my dad said, why are you going to hell? And uh, that's just what he said. I'll never forget that. 
And then he said right behind it, you're going to take my grandchildren from me? And I had to tell him, you know, God, God has sent me to Helena. And I have to make a choice. Scripture says, if I love father, mother, brother, sister, dad, whoever, more than you, I cannot be your disciple. So I had that choice. You, you probably had that choice at some point. God brings us to those crossroads so that we can either declare how much we love him or be challenged to love him and get through this process, whatever that is. Love made Jesus fearless. He understood the cost, but he went anyway. That's what we're called to do. We're called to fearless devotion to Jesus. Love also gives clear insight in the daylight. He sort of runs through this thing about day and night and all that. And um, I always read something from Jesus and go, there's a spiritual application here. <laughs> it's not just about the physical daylight. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? Well, yeah, there are. If anyone walks in day, he's not, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. What's the light of this world he's referring to there? The sun, right? Yeah, just common sense. There it is. Then he throws this curve in there. So if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Wait a second. I thought the light was the light of the world, the sun. And then all of a sudden he says, the light is in you and I. Where does that light come from? Yeah, it comes from Jesus. He's the light of the world. They hadn't quite got it. You know what encourages me about this passage? He calls them disciples all the way through it. Jesus' disciples said this. Jesus' disciples did this. We'll look at it in a second. But Jesus' disciples, they didn't get it. And they were right there with him. Sometimes I don't get it. And I'm 2,000 years removed. But he's still there. That light is in here. So let's move on. Lazarus's life was Jesus' opportunity. Now, please don't miss this one. Because when you go through hardship, you go through trials, you go through struggles, often that's Jesus' opportunity to shine through you. They decided to go. Verse 12 says, then, Jesus, then his disciples says, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Anybody enjoy naps? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I love to take a nap. It makes me feel so much better after I, that 15 minutes after I get up, I have to wake up first, but you know. But a nap's great. Sunday afternoons are my day for a nap. I don't usually take a nap the rest, although lately I've been challenged to. <laughs> Just because it feels good. He's asleep. Lord, don't worry. He's going to be okay. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. They still didn't get it. Even though Jesus had told them they were going to glorify him, they still didn't get it. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That is an awfully strange comment. I mean, he's dead. Don't you want to mourn for him? Don't you want to cry for him? Don't you? No, I'm glad he was. <laughs> and then he has this to say, that you may believe. 
how long have these guys been with Jesus? About two years, maybe a little longer. He's coming up to the right at the end of his ministry. In John chapter 13, he begins the upper room discourse. It's a little over two years. They'd seen Jesus raise one person from the dead, the little girl. Remember that? She was in the upper room. She hadn't been put in the grave yet. Raised her from the dead. They'd seen him heal countless people. They'd seen him do miracle after miracle, and yet he says, that you may believe. Again, that encourages me. Because I know at times I struggle to believe him. But he's patient, he's gracious, he's kind to me. He picks me up when I fall on my face. Pulls me up underneath him and whispers in my ear, I love you, or he's willing to do that today regardless of where you are. And then Thomas, old doubting Thomas is what we call him, but Thomas is apparently a pretty smart man. Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go up with him that we may die. That's really great belief, isn't it? I mean, now let me ask you something. Could the Pharisees take Jesus' life when they decided to? Could they kill him? Do you remember when they, they took Jesus to the edge of the hill in his own hometown of Nazareth and they were going to throw him off the hill and uh, he turns around and he just walks right through the crowd. They can't lay a hand on him. And my point is, is that no man took Jesus' life, even when he went to the cross. The Romans did not take his life. They went through the act of it, but Jesus offered his life up at that point. Jesus allowed them to take his life so that he could be that sacrifice for you and I. So Thomas still doesn't get it. He thinks that Jesus is not capable of taking care of himself and of them. And so, well, I love him. I'm going up with him. I'm going to die with him. It's not time for you to die, Thomas, and it's not time for me to die. By the way, it's not time for you either. <laughs> he keeps you. He's got something for you. So when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that he'd already been in the tomb four days. Now, some of you probably go, how come four days? Well, there was a day when they went down to uh, Bethany to find Jesus, or down across the river. If you look at the end of John chapter 10, they went across the river to find Jesus. He'd, he was about a day's journey away. Then they waited two days, and then they had a, a day's journey back up. So there's your four days. He probably died while they were on their way to tell Jesus he was sick. And they laid him in a tomb. They wrapped him and laid him in a tomb. What happens to a body in four days that's been dead? It decays fairly quickly. If you've ever been around death, it, it, it happens very quickly. Martha even goes to the point of saying, you know, um, probably there's an odor there, Lord. You sure you want to pop this tomb open? It's not in this part of the passage, but... She understands this, this guy's dead. He's not just, this isn't a fake thing. He's dead. Been in the tomb four days. 
Verse 16, again, excuse me, I got behind myself. Uh, Verse 20, true living is determined by our belief. And that's what you get right here at the end. Now Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Um, Martha believed that Jesus' proximity would make a difference in life and death. And Jesus was trying to teach him that he didn't have to be there to take care of it, although he came. What What do you believe about that? Do you believe that Jesus has got to be right here, right now, all the time in order for you to see him work a miracle? I mean, he is here. The scripture tells us that. Look at verse 22. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you this. She sort of weasels out of this situation right here. So I, I'm, I know you could have done it. I know you can still do it, but I'm not sure you will do it. Does that sound like faith, great belief there? I, I think Martha was struggling to believe that Jesus would take care of the situation. You ever struggled with uh, Jesus, wondering whether he's going to take care of whatever you have a need for him to take care of? This, this whole passage begs that, if you would. Martha said to him, I know that I will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Well, Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. She said, I know that, but not today. And then Jesus says this, and we're going to camp out here for just a moment. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That's the ticket to heaven, isn't it? Right there. But he goes on. He says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He drops that, uh, I call it a belief bomb. (laughs) He just drops it right on her. Martha, you've been saying all the right things. You're looking to me, that's the right thing to do. But do you really believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? I want to ask you, do you realize that he's not saying what he will do, but who he is? He's not saying I will raise the dead. He's not saying I'm I'm capable of raising the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's stating who he is, not what he can do. He can do because of who he is. John notes that all the way through the gospel. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. You ever get hungry? He's referring back to the manna in Exodus. He's saying, I am that bread. I am that substance of life. I didn't just feed them. I am that. Then he says, 
in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 1, it says that uh, he is light. John, in, in, in verse 4, John 1, 4. And then in John chapter 8, Jesus himself states, I am the light. That means that everything else is darkness. He is the light. I am the light. In John chapter 10, he says, I'm the gate. The gate to what? The gate to eternal life. The gate to heaven. The gate to purpose and meaning. He's the one that is that. You won't find it in anything else. I am. I just don't open the door. I am the door. In John chapter 10, later in the chapter, a little further down, he says, I am the good shepherd. We're not in an agricultural society as such. There's probably a few of us that have dealt with sheep. Um, I haven't personally. I've dealt with alpacas that are just about as dumb as sheep not quite but um sheep goats you ever dealt with goats i had 15 goats once they woke us up every morning standing outside our window ma feed me feed me we had bottle fed them because we had to put their mothers down talking about dumb i mean they need they need a shepherd they need somebody to take care of them and he says i am it's not that i just do i do take care of you I do look after you. I do answer your prayers. But I am. That's who I am. I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he says, we just looked at, I am the resurrection of life. In John chapter 14, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on to say, no man comes to the Father but by me. That's a very exclusive statement. There is no other way to get to the Father. There is no other way to get to heaven but through Jesus. I am the way. He is the personified way to get to God. I am the truth. Did you know that truth is a person? It's not just a concept. It's not just a philosophical thing that we raise ourselves up to. It is a person, the person of Jesus. I am the truth. We live in a society today that doesn't know truth any longer. How many passwords do you keep for your stuff? I have two and a half pages on my note thing. Literally probably over a hundred. I found out last week that if you have, this is a little tip, that I was talking to a, a, a guy who does security, and he says if your password is over 16 characters, it will never be broken. So all my passwords now are going up to 16 characters. Why do I even need a password? It's because there's no truth. We live in a lie. We live in a place where people steal and try to destroy for no reason whatsoever except for their jollies. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last one, John 15, 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. He's the vine. See, he's the resurrection of life the resurrection is not an event it's a person real life isn't just is not just living it is christ the person he is life here's the crux of it do you believe that 
Do you believe that he is the resurrection life? Do you believe that there is no other way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Martha believed he was who he said he was, and consequently, he is the Christ, the promised one of God, the fulfillment of the ages, the culmination of all the promises and prophecies and types of the Old Testament. Jesus is him. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is the great I am. I was so glad we sang that song. He is the great I am. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees were trying to corner him, and he finally just turned to him and he says, I am. What did they do? They picked up stones because he was declaring himself to be God. And they thought that was sacrilege. Make no mistake, Jesus has clarified, if you just look in Scripture, who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the great I am. This is why there is not any other. Jesus is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I've said that over and over, but he is. He will raise Lazarus. Next, in two weeks, we'll see him get raised. And all who believe in him and place their utter and complete trust in him above all other relationships, he alone can save. He alone can give you eternal life. I'm going to make an exclusive statement. All other belief systems are a lie. None can save you. None can resurrect you. None can give you eternal life, but all give you eternal death because that is actually what they are. Death. Uh, John 8, 24 says, Therefore I say to you <clears throat> that you will die in your sins for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now I'm just, I'm a Baptist, so I'm struggling on exactly how to end this right here. But I want to give an invitation to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to get that together today. I, again, I don't know everybody here. I'm assuming we're all Christians. But in a few minutes after uh, we take our communion, I'll be standing up here and and uh, you come, think about it between now and then, you come grab my hand and I'll pray with you. I'll, I'll pray the sinner's prayer and explain to you how to begin your walk with Jesus Christ. It is vitally important that you make that beginning of a relationship with him. He's also the one who can heal because we'll see in a couple weeks you already know the story probably, but he raises Lazarus from the dead. He can heal anyone, anywhere, anytime, regardless of the malady. I've never personally seen anybody raised from the dead, but I've known two people who have seen people raised from the dead. He can do that still. If he can overcome death, he can overcome anything. And we'd be glad to pray for you in a few minutes. If you have a malady, you have a problem, you have financial issues, you have family issues, the best person to take it to is Jesus. And he'll meet that. He is more than capable. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection. I am. He is the I am. Will you pray with me for a moment?
Lord, we ask that you would just impress upon our hearts the wonder of the resurrection. But more than that, the wonder of the I am who is the resurrection. Lord, may we um, put our focus on you and live for you. Give you all that we are because you have given us all that you are. So Lord, have your way with us. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they might just take that step today. I had to take that step. Everybody here in this room that is a Christian had to take that step at one time or another. And so, Lord, I pray that they might take that step today, that we might see them born again. Thank you for what you're doing here in this place. Thank you for the life and vitality of this church. Thank you that you are here.